All right, so we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4, and you are not going to like the ending. You're not going to like it. And the reason I know that is because you haven't liked some of the endings to uh, some of the famous shows that have been on TV in recent years, like Lost. You didn't like the ending of Lost, right? If you invested years of your life uh, watching the show Lost and wanting to see how the characters uh, played out and wanting to see how the, where the plot would go. And so people on the very last episode just were livid because it didn't provide the resolution that they hoped for. And so they watched YouTube videos and read blogs on how, what exactly did that ending mean? I'm at a loss on the ending of Lost. Lost. Don't know what it is. Um, some of you felt the same way about Sopranos. You watched uh, Sopranos for years and you saw this mafia kingpin, Tony Soprano, and, and you wondered in the very last scene as uh, his daughter Meadow goes into the restaurant, he's at the cafe with his family, and then um, there's this journey song playing in the background, and then all of a sudden it fades to black, and you don't know, did, did someone who walked into the cafe kill Tony Soprano? What happened to the end? I mean, what do we know? What do we know? And so people start asking the creator of the show, David Chase, what happened at the end? And he has never given an answer. There is no answer. And so people are disappointed. And the reason that many times directors will do this with a film or with a TV series is so that we'll still talk about it. So that the unsure ending creates conversation. It causes us to wonder what exactly happened. And really that's what the book of Jonah is going to do for us today. It's gonna end with a question. The book of Jonah, you're gonna see this. We're gonna read all of chapter four today. It's actually gonna end with a question. And the reason the Lord does that is he has this book, this incredible book put into the scripture is because this question is going to cause us to ask some questions of our own life. The question is important because the question causes us to not just think about Jonah, but really to think about ourselves. And so if you're new to the book of Jonah, or maybe you missed one of the weeks, let me sum it up real quickly to get to chapter four, because chapter four is really surprising when you understand the first three chapters. So the scripture opens in Jonah with God asking Jonah, who's a prophet to Israel, to not only be a prophet to Israel, but to go to Nineveh, which is a big request from God because Nineveh is filled with the Assyrian people. About 120,000 people live there, and they are known as extremely violent. Not only violent among themselves, but they are violent to their enemies, and Israel is one of their enemies. So God asked Jonah to leave his people and go to one of his enemies. Jonah says, I am out. I do not want this. I'm going the exact opposite direction. He gets on a ship and tries to go 2,500 miles the exact opposite way not 500 miles this way, 2,500 miles this way to go to Tarshish. But God, because he loves Jonah so much, says, I'm not letting my boy get away that far. And so God goes after Jonah. He sends a storm. He sends sailors. He sends dice. He appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah after Jonah is thrown overboard. This is all in chapter one. And we see a prophet who wonders and a God who pursues. You get to chapter two. In chapter two, Jonah's in the belly of this great fish. He remembers the greatness of God and the grace of God, and he prays this incredible prayer, and he comes back to God. He then is spit up on the ground. This is now chapter 3, and he's, he's, he's given the same exact command to go to Nineveh, which is beautiful because 
God doesn't give up on Jonah. God doesn't say to Jonah, I gave you a one shot. You missed it. Now I'm going to find somebody else. God goes to the same person with the same command, go to Nineveh. Jonah does. And it's incredible what happens. The people believe the word of God. 120,000 people, they all repent. They all start turning to God. It is the greatest revival in human history. The king takes off his royal robes, sits in sackcloth and ashes, and gives a decree that all violence in the city of Nineveh must stop. This is the moment that prophets long for. If you're a prophet, a preacher, you long for this moment. This is what you prayed for. This is what you've given your life to. You want this so bad. Noah didn't get it. No one listened to Noah when he warned about a flood. No one listened at all. Jeremiah didn't get it. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. Nobody listens to Jeremiah. If Noah and Jeremiah could talk to Jonah, they would say, bro, you're an idiot. This is like the greatest thing ever. I so badly wanted to be you. I so badly wanted people to listen to me. Everybody listens to Jonah. Revival spreads throughout the entire city. If it had been modern day here, everybody would show up on church at time and stay the whole time and sing. It'd be awesome. It'd be so amazing. Our minds would be blown. This is what happens in Jonah chapter 3. And then what happens in Jonah 4? Notice, you expect Jonah to be so excited. Look at verse 1. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. What? This doesn't make any sense. Jonah, you're a prophet. This is supposed to be the pinnacle of your prophet life. This is supposed to be incredible. You don't expect Jonah to be miserable. ESPN recently did a list of the most miserable sports fans. And you understand when a sports fan is miserable. They, they, their team's not winning. They feel like they're never going to win. You don't expect Jonah. I mean, as a prophet, he won. Everything happened like you want to happen when you're a prophet. But the sports teams that ESPN says are miserable, they say the number one most miserable fan base currently in the U.S. is the Sacramento Kings. They say they're the most miserable and one of the reasons they're miserable is because they still have bitterness in their heart from this moment when Robert Ory um, knocked them out of the playoffs in 2000. They're miserable. They've been miserable since that moment. Their misery knows no limit. And so you understand when your team is not going to, they're not going to win again this year. You get why they're miserable. You don't get why Jonah is miserable. Everything happened like you would want to happen if you are Jonah. You'd, you'd want this. And so why is he so miserable? Well, verse 2 actually tells us why he's miserable. And if you've been studying the book of Jonah, you, you, you maybe have asked this question, why is he not wanting to go to Nineveh? What's the point of him not wanting to go to Nineveh? And he's going to actually self-disclose it in verse 2. So here's Jonah. He talks to God. Jonah prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew it. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He says, God, this is, I didn't want to go to Nineveh because this is what I thought would happen. I knew it. 
you're a gracious and compassionate God. He actually quotes in this passage, Jonah is quoting what God said about himself in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. When God reveals himself to Moses, God says of himself, I am a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. Jonah loved that God is gracious and compassionate to his people. He didn't want God to be gracious and compassionate to those people over there. And so he feared if I go to Nineveh, God's going to actually be gracious to those people. I knew it, God. I knew when you asked me to go to Nineveh that this is what you were going to do. You were going to be kind and compassionate to those people. I, I hate this so much that I, I don't even want to live anymore is what he's saying. Verse 4, the Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter and there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. And so Jonah actually leaves the city. He builds um, a shelter outside the city. And so he's watching it to see what's going to happen. Both God and Jonah wanted the city of Nineveh consumed. Jonah wanted the city of Nineveh consumed with wrath. God wanted the city of Nineveh consumed with mercy and grace, but both wanted the city consumed. Jonah sits outside, watches to see what God will do in the city. This is one of the literary masterpieces of the book of Jonah, is that God actually depicts the prophet of God in worse light than the people of Nineveh, than the pagan city of Nineveh. Because you remember the king of Nineveh when he heard the word of God? He got off of his throne and took off his robe and sat in ashes saying, I am not in a position to judge this great God. Jonah does the exact opposite. The prophet of God sets himself up outside of the city to judge, to see if God's going to do what he wants him to do. And so this is Jonah and he's, he's miserable. So God doesn't still give up on Jonah. Notice what happens next, verse 6. Then the Lord God appointed. Now, if you have your Bible, underline that phrase, the Lord God appointed. It's the second time it's found in the book of Jonah. It's the second of four times. The first time is when the Lord God appointed a great fish. Now the Lord God is appointing a plant. He's putting together all of these details because he's arranging conversations with Jonah. The Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. This is the only time in the book of Jonah where Jonah's happy. He's happy because God gave him this plant to relieve him from his trouble. Now notice the word trouble. If you have the scripture with you, notice the word trouble or circle the word trouble. In the original Hebrew, this is a literary device in this masterpiece of a book here. It's incredible. In the original Hebrew, it can be translated trouble or it can be translated evil. Jonah thinks that God is appointing a plant to relieve him from his trouble, but God is also appointing a plant to have a conversation to relieve Jonah from his evil, to pull the evil out of his heart because God has not given up on Jonah. He's still working on Jonah's heart, and so he's going to ask him these questions. When dawn came the next day, this is verse 7, here's another appointment. There's more appointments coming. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm 
that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. And when you're reading this, you can think, is God going too strong after Jonah here? Is he going, um, is he being cruel to Jonah? I mean, he gives him a plant and then he appoints a worm to kill the plant. And then he, puts, he appoints a son and, and, and uh, Jonah feels like he's going to faint. Is God being too cruel towards Jonah here? And you're going to see he's not. Here's, here's what he's doing. He's arranging and appointing all of these things because he's wanting to pull the evil out of Jonah's heart. He's wanting to pull the evil out of Jonah's life. And he's appointing all of these things, not because he wants to ruin Jonah, but because he wants to restore Jonah. And in this passage, I need to address this, Jonah is so overwhelmed with depression that he wants to die. And in a room this size, there would be many of you who struggle with anxiety and struggle with depression. And when you read the scripture, this is one of the reasons we trust that the scripture speaks to us in our need. The scripture doesn't sugarcoat the problems that God's people deal with. And there's many cases in scripture, there's prophets in scripture, including Jonah, who struggle with depression, who struggle with anxiety. And just like we are, Jonah is a complex person. We, we don't know how much of this is spiritual, how much of this is psychological, how much of this is emotional, how much is mental. He's a complex person. The scripture doesn't give us that, but what the scripture does give us is how God deals with Jonah in his deep depression. I want you to see what God doesn't do to Jonah. He doesn't scold him in his depression. He doesn't shame him in his depression. He, he doesn't um, say, suck it up, Jonah. Let's get on with life. He doesn't approach Jonah that way. He starts asking him questions like a skilled counselor, like a loving counselor would ask someone who's struggling. This is how God approaches Jonah. And this is how God approaches you in your dark moments, in the pain of life. If you are wrestling here today with depression or anxiety, God pulls you in. He loves you in the middle of your struggle. And when you come to him, it doesn't all the time just eliminate the anxiety and the depression. You will struggle, many of us, with those things our whole life. But here's what will happen. God will hold us to himself in the middle of the struggle. This is what he's doing with Jonah. So if you are struggling today, understand that God has not written you off that God pulls you in. He's pulling Jonah in with these questions. And so here's, here's one of the questions. Verse 9. Then God asked Jonah, is it, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals, and the book of Jonah ends. It ends. It ends with a question. Now, now here's what many scholars and theologians believe. The only reason we have the book of Jonah is because Jonah then goes back home, back to Israel, and he recounts everything that happened. And so God has effectively pulled Jonah back to himself 
in the middle of Jonah's struggles, in the middle of his wandering. But there's three questions that God asked Jonah in chapter four. Three questions, and they're really about two different things. They're about Jonah, and they're about the city of Nineveh. And so there's two thoughts I want us to leave with as we wrap up the book of Jonah. Number one, and this is, one is about you, and one is about the city in which you live. One is about you, and one is about the 34 cities in Orange County. So point number one, God is compassionate towards you. He's compassionate towards you. The book of Jonah is a book where we see the mercy and compassion of God. We see the mercy and compassion of God towards the people of Nineveh, which the religious leaders in Israel would have thought, God's not going to be compassionate towards those people. Those people are so evil and they're, they're so violent and there's no way God would show mercy to those people. But God is very merciful to the people of Nineveh. But he's also merciful to a prophet named Jonah who wanders, who runs. And like a parent who is going to do anything to have a conversation with a wayward teenager. Like a loving parent who's going to arrange anything possible to go after the heart of the teenage son or the teenage daughter who's wandering away. God is this loving parent who arranges and appoints fish and plants and worms and sons. He puts anything he can on the table to go after Jonah's heart, to have mercy and compassion on Jonah. God is compassionate towards you, and he will arrange anything and everything in your life to pull you into himself, to go after your heart. He will use anything and everything because his love for you knows no bounds. He is compassionate towards you, just as he was compassionate towards Nineveh, and just as he was compassionate towards Jonah, he is compassionate. He's compassionate towards you. He is. And when you read the book of Jonah, you, you wrestle with, why did he not give up on Jonah? I mean, did he really need Jonah? God wants to rescue people in Nineveh. Did he need Jonah to do it? Was God up in heaven saying, man, I sure hope Jonah obeys me this time because if Jonah doesn't obey me, I don't know what I'm going to do. Of course not. Of course not, right? We don't, we don't, we don't worship a God who needs us to fulfill his plans. We, we just sang songs that he's Yahweh. He's the self-existing one. God doesn't need Jonah. God wants Jonah. God wants to include Jonah in his plans. And so God uses Jonah to confront the Ninevites, but God uses the Ninevites to confront Jonah. There's evil in Jonah's heart that needs to be pulled out. And so here's what Jonah learns about himself. Jonah learns that he's, he's been racist that he's looked with disdain on the people of Assyria. He learns about himself that he has placed his nationalism, his love for his country over his love for his God. He learns about himself that he has prioritized his own plans, his own agenda over God's agenda, which is why he ran the other direction. God uses this mission to go to Nineveh to pull out evil in Jonah's life so that Jonah will be more like God and more satisfied and more quenched and more happy. God uses Nineveh and the Ninevites to confront Jonah and to bring Jonah closer to himself. And what's, what does this mean for me? This means a lot for you. Because God invites you to join him on the mission of influencing and impacting other people, not because he needs you for the mission, but because you need the mission. 
Because you need to be involved in what God is doing in this world. Because as you're involved, you sense the glory of God working through you. You sense the presence of God. And more than the mission needs you, you need the mission. Does this make sense? And so because God is compassionate towards you, he keeps inviting you. He keeps saying, let's play. He keeps pulling you in and saying, I want you to be a part of all of the things that I am doing in this world. He keeps bringing you on. I learned this the first time I really remember understanding that more than God needed me, I needed the mission, is my sophomore year of college. I'm at this public university in North Louisiana, and there was this speaker that challenged a group of us um, Christian guys to the first 60 days of this new calendar year, my sophomore year, for us to share the gospel, to tell people about Jesus every single day for 60 days. And so I was like... I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. 60 days, I can do that. I've committed to other things. I can commit to this. I can commit 60 days. I'm going to tell someone about Jesus every day. So I wrote it down like a commitment card, put it in my Bible. Every single day for the first 60 days of this new year, I'm going to tell someone about Jesus. And so I started, it changed how I lived. I started for those 60 days. I started looking for opportunities all over the place to tell someone how much God loves you, how Christ put himself on a cross for you because he wanted to take away your sin because he pursues you, he loves you. I looked for opportunities to tell people that all the time. I would walk into a class and I would look at people who sat around me and if somebody missed, I would take notes and I would go to the library and make copies and the next day that they came to class, I would give them the notes and say, hey man, I just want to tell you I did this because God loves you. I would look for opportunities like that. One night I went to Domino's and got 20 pizzas for six bucks, five ninety nine, showed up at a frat house. I had no idea what I was doing. Walked up with like twenty pizzas. There's this dude outside, and I'm like, "Hey, man, I got some pizzas. We don't want any." I said, "No, they're free." For real? Yeah, bro, they're free. I got 20 pizzas. Um, I, I, can, I, can I give them to you guys? And if, if you would let, I would like like five minutes just to tell everybody um, why I brought them pizza. He said, yeah, for sure, dude. Hey, everybody, this guy got some pizza. And so um, everybody come up. Home dude got us some pizza. And so they all walk up, and, and I'm so nervous. I'm 19 years old. I'm like, um, hey, y'all, I just, guys, I want you to know um, this pizza's free. And Jesus is free too. He's free. <laughs> and if, if you'll like receive Jesus like you receive the pizza, <laughs> he forgives you and I'm going to be over by my truck. <laughs> if you guys got any questions, just come talk to me. That was it. I did that. And then I, I there were some 60 days. You got to start looking for opportunities. And then I... Um, Thursday night, College Town, everybody went, everybody went to the bars on Thursday night. So me and some buddies, um, we, you know, we'd made this commitment, 60 days. And so we started going um, to these bars on Thursday nights. There, this was like in the Bible Belt. So there were some pastors in this small town who were like, we hear you're going to the bars. And I'm like, we're going to the bars. And, and so we went and we would put uh, 50 cents on the pool table and, and, start, and we would have conversations with people. Um, about Jesus. There was one night when it was like 1030. I hadn't told anybody yet about Jesus. And so I pulled into one of the dormitories and just started walking on doors. Hey man, um, I'm here. I want to tell you about um, the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. What was it? Man, when Christ um, saved me, made me a Christian, it was, it's, it's changed everything about me. Some people listen, some people shut the door. And so in that 60 day period of time, there were some that said, hey bro, I don't want to hear this with respect. There were some who said it very disrespectfully. 
Um, at the end of the 60 days, I wish I had a story like, man, it was insane. Revival spread throughout the entire. <laughs> this is why I don't get Jonah. This is why I'm like, dude, I would have I cut off an arm for, for the revival to have happened in my college campus. Man, I love those people so much. I wanted them to understand who Jesus was so badly. And, and, and I, don't, I, didn't have any story, I don't have any stories like that. None. But here's what I do have. The person who was impacted the most after those 60 days, for sure, was me. Because I had people sitting at a bar asking me questions about the Bible that I had never been asked before that caused me to go back and look at scriptures and like, I got next time, next time somebody asks me, I want to I wanna know, know the answer better than that. I had people bring objections to the Christian faith that I had never processed, and it caused me to spend time in Scripture. It caused me to read. It caused me to study. I had people who, as I talked to them, were going through such deep, dark moments of pain in their life that I learned. I learned that oftentimes people don't need me to show up with my canned presentation. They need me to sit there, shut up, and listen. I learned so much. God used those people over that 60-day period of time way more in my life than he used me in their life. And I hope and pray, because I believe the word doesn't return void, that he used me in other people's lives. But more than he used me, I know for certain that he used the mission to make an impact in me. God is merciful to you, compassionate towards you, to pull you in to what he's doing. So we're in the middle of this season of outreach here at Mariners, and there's opportunities in the bulletin for you to serve. And we, we do need you to pull off those projects, but more than we need you, you need the mission. You need to step in and serve others because as you serve the poor, you remember, I am spiritually poor and bankrupt, and everything I have is a gift from God. As you step out of your comfort zone, your faith is expanded. God uses the mission in you more than you need, more than the mission needs you. Does that make sense? All right, so number one, God is compassionate towards you. Number two, God is compassionate towards cities. And, and we can't end the book of Jonah without understanding this. God cares about the city of Nineveh. God cares about cities. And why does he care about cities? Because God cares about people, he cares about cities because cities are filled with people. But he also cares for cities because as the social structure of a city is formed, the people in the city are blessed by it or they're hurt by it. And so when a city is operating well, when the social structures of a city are designed to bless and care for the residents in the city, Every single person in the city benefits. So God cares for people, and he also cares for cities because cities bless and impact people. And so God says to Jonah, the last question he asked him, Jonah, you cared about the plant. A plant. Should I not care for this great city of Nineveh that has 120,000 people in it? You cared for a plant. And why did Jonah care for a plant? This is what makes God's love for you different than our love for other things. Jonah, you cared for the plant because you needed the plant. You were hot and you needed shade. You cared for the plant because you needed it. I care for you, not because I need you. I care for you 
because I've chosen to set my affection on you and set my love on you. God cares for you and he cares for cities, not because he needs us, but because he's gracious and loving and he's just set his affection and his mercy and his goodness on us. So God cares for the city because every person in the city is impacted by the city. And so I want you to ask yourself this question as we close out the book of Jonah. Listen to God ask you. Hey, you care about this job, plant, car, whatever it is. You care about this, which you didn't labor for because everything you have he gave. You care about this. Should I not care for the great city of blank, wherever you live? For in that city, all of these people live, many who don't know their right hand from their left hand. Do you care for cities the way that he cares? Do you care for the city in which you live? Do you care for the 34 cities in Orange County the way that God cares for the 34 cities in Orange County? Do you care? Do you have compassion? Do you live in Orange County just to consume from Orange County or do you live in Orange County to have compassion on the people in Orange County? Like, why are you here? You may have thought you're here just because I'm an entrepreneur and this is a great place for other entrepreneurs. There's a lot of us here and it's great for my startup and I'm going to build it and flip it and that's why I'm here. Or I'm here because it's a great place to raise kids with the um, excellent education systems. Or I'm here just because who doesn't want to live in Orange County and it's amazing. Why are you here? From a human level, all of those things are good, but God has you here for much more than those things. He has you here. The scripture says in Acts 17, verse 26, from one man, so from Christ, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. From God's perspective, he chose exactly where you would live and the time in which you would live and he has placed you here, not simply to consume from this great county, but to have mercy and compassion on this great county. Should I not care for the great city of Nineveh, God asked Jonah. And I want you to care as well. God is inviting Jonah into the story. We're gonna close out this series by praying for different cities in Orange County. And I want us to ask ourselves, do we look at a city that we live in in the cities around us the way Jonah looked at the city of Nineveh or the way Jesus looks at cities? Do you remember how Jesus looked at the city of Jerusalem? He wept over it. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. Jonah scorned the city of Nineveh. Jesus wept over the city of of Jerusalem. Jonah wanted to get outside of the city to sit and look at it in judgment. Jesus was led outside of the city to be crucified to express mercy and love and salvation to the residents of that city. Jonah didn't want anything to do with those people who don't know their right from their left. Jesus, what did he do on the cross as he looked out at people who didn't know their right from their left? Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. As Jesus looked at people who don't know their right from their left, Jesus expressed mercy and compassion to those people, and he express, expresses mercy and compassion to you. Do you look at a city 
the way Jonah looked at a city or do you look at a city the way Jesus does? Do you complain about the city or do you look to serve the city? Do you just consume from the city or do you have compassion on the city? Irvine, population, we're gonna put a slide on the screen for nine different cities. I'm gonna lead us in prayer for the first one and then I'm gonna ask you in the stillness of this moment, I want us to be as still as we can to pray for eight more cities. There's 34 cities in Orange County. We're not gonna pray for all of them today, but we're gonna pray for nine of them. And this will be a model, an example for you of praying for the city, city of Irvine. How do you think God looks at Irvine when he looked at Nineveh with 120,000 people and Irvine has 277,000 people? Jesus, I pray for the city of Irvine. Lord, you created every single one of those 277, 453 people. Every one of those people you created and you love, and I pray for them now. I pray in your mercy and your goodness, Jesus, that you would pursue them for yourself. I pray for the men and women, boys and girls in Irvine, God, that you would appoint things in their life so that they would understand how deep your mercy and your love for them is. But I also pray for the city of Irvine as a whole. I thank you for Mayor Shea. I pray for her now. I pray that you would give her wisdom and compassion as she governs. I pray for the social structures in that city that they would provide for those who are hurting. I pray that you would help us to come alongside the city of Irvine to serve her well. And Jesus, as we start to pray for these other cities, Lord, hear our prayer now.
Our outreach team has been listening to city officials in these different cities. And if you notice, as you were praying, one common thread is the issue of homelessness and those who are facing homelessness. And so if you notice in your bulletin, we're going to be launching a team of people and a ministry to, not that we have all the answers, but to step in and serve in that area. Jesus, you have sent us here. It's not by accident that we live in Orange County. And Lord, we want you to use us. Lord, we wanna express compassion and care for people in the great cities of Orange County. We, we, we don't wanna run away from your call like Jonah ran away. We, we run to you now. And we ask that you would shine your light through us, that the world will know that you are God that the world will know that you are gracious and kind and compassionate and slow to anger. Lord, we realize that people need mercy and compassion and we need it as well and we wanna express it to others. Church, let's stand and let's sing and let's worship this God who's been compassionate to us and wants to use us to be compassionate to others. Salvation, he 
not too late for you to get signed up to serve one of our cities in our current outreach opportunities. And so if you notice the insert in the bulletin, you simply sign up and on the way out, you'll see these people with um, big yellow buckets. They are there so you can't miss them on the way out. And you just um, drop the serve opportunity that you want to sign up for into one of the buckets. Next week, um, I'm excited that Doug Fields is going to be teaching next week. It's going to be incredible. And we have, um, we have some great news we're going to share about Doug um, next weekend. Or you can read it early in the weekly newsletter that comes out tomorrow. We're gonna, um, we have some exciting news to share about Doug. And then in two weeks, Kenton is going to be leading us through a time of Thanksgiving in our weekend service, which is going to be great. Excited about that. And then in three weeks, we are going to kick off our Christmas series, which is going to be looking at these announcements in the Old Testament because some people think Christmas starts in the Gospels, but Christmas is the plan the whole time. And so we're going to see these stories in the Old Testament that announce Christmas. So it's called Announcing Christmas, and it's going to be the start the weekend after Thanksgiving. So really excited about that. If there's anything going on in your life that we can pray with you about, we have a team of people to my left, your right, right over there by those lights. Maybe uh, an overwhelming situation, maybe anxiety, depression, maybe um, a decision that you're wrestling with. Whatever your need is, we want to step in and, and not let you shoulder that alone. We want to we pray with you and encourage you. We also have an elder prayer room. And to get to the elder prayer room, this is for people who need prayer for healing, whether physical healing or emotional healing. And to get to our elder prayer room, you go through the doors in the back and you take a right. Let's extend our hands and receive God's blessing as we go. Jesus, I pray for your sons and daughters who have their hands extended to you. I pray that this new week that you would bless them and keep them. I pray that they would be reminded each day that you are merciful and gracious and compassionate towards them. I pray also that you would open their eyes to see the needs and the pains and the hurts around them, that they would shine the light that they have received into the lives of others. Bless them this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week.